This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Simone Marnitz, who is at the Medical Faculty at the University of Cologne in the Department of Radiation Oncology and Cyberknife in Germany. And in addition to that, we have her co-author, Dr. Christar Kohler, who is in the Department of Gynecology at the University of Cologne and also in the Department of Special Operative and Oncologic Gynecology in Hamburg, Germany. Uh, welcome to you both. Hello. And Pedro, it's a great pleasure to have this talk with you. Absolutely. We're so pleased uh, to speak with you both. Uh, we rarely get an opportunity to uh, speak to uh, two of the uh, authors of uh, of a lead article, and this uh, discussion is going to be uh, the discussion related to the uterus 11, the surgical versus clinical staging prior to primary chemoradiation in patients with cervical cancer, FIGO stage 2B to 4A, the oncologic results of this prospective randomized trial. Um, absolutely. Well, first, I want to congratulate you both for uh, completing uh, this really very important trial. And, uh, and obviously, uh, I'm sure there's, um, there's a lot of questions that uh, we need to, to address and uh, many questions that will come up uh, subsequently to the publication of this lead article. So um, to that end, I wanted to first start by asking you, you know, certainly, uh, particularly to you, Simone, we'll start with you. Uh, the concept of surgical staging of uh, locally advanced cervical cancer has been a topic of, you know, certainly some debate over the last uh, 20 years or so, as surgeons have sought to find a strategy to determine the best treatment modality for patients with locally advanced cancer. Um, the area of primary interest has been the periodic lymph nodes to determine the field of radiation. And of course, obviously, uterus 11, the first randomized trial evaluating surgical versus the clinical staging in patients with 2B, 4A, cervical cancer. So wanted to start by asking, why did you perform this prospective randomized trial, and why was it important to answer this question? Thank you, Pedro. At first, I want to say that I'm very honored by getting the opportunity to discuss the data with Christard and you um, today. The background of the study was the daily uh, clinic uh, situation in the tumor conferences when we uh, started our collaboration with uh, cervical cancer patients with Chris Hart as a gynecologist and me as a radiation oncologist 15 years ago that uh, we wanted to have an evidence-based recommendation for our patient in our tumor conference. And the everyday question was, how to proceed with the patient with locally advanced uh, cervical cancer. At uh, that time, we had two conflicting randomized trials on um, prophylactic parotic irradiation showing a benefit and no benefit. And we wanted, at, secondly, we wanted to avoid um, um, unnecessary toxicity to our patient, not to get irradiation to every patient with uh, advanced cancer, but to get a better selection for patient and to avoid toxicity. And the third idea behind was that um, we know from other entities in radiation oncology 
that we won't eradicate um, lymph nodes um, larger than one or two centimeters with an adjuvant dose to the pelvis or to the paraortic. That means we had the expectation and the idea that we would um, improve the oncologic result by minimizing clonogenic tumor cells in that area and then to have a primary chemoradiation. That was one idea behind. Yeah, so obviously this, this again reinforces the, the importance of uh, the collaboration with uh, surgeons and uh, radiation oncologists and putting together a, a, such an, an important question and an important study. So, Simone, my, my second question was, when you both sat down to talk about which patients to include and which to exclude, uh, what were your inclusion and exclusion criteria for the Uterus 11 study? Optimally, we wanted to include uh, at the beginning patients with 1B1 to 4A. So 1B1 with uh, risk factors um, that might be an indication for chemoradiation. And after extensive discussion with our societies, with the gynecologists and with the radiation oncologists, we had to exclude 1B1, unfortunately. That means we, ex we included patients on 1B2 to 4A cervical cancer, um, 18 years to 70 years because of the cisplatin chemoradiation. We had the limitation to the age of 17 histologically um, confirmed um, cervical cancer patients, no uh, neuroendocrine, new small cell tumors, uh, written informed consent, no pregnancy, um, and no prior. Uh, chemoradiation, no radiation, and no previous malignant diseases um, except some bavariomas of the skin. Yeah, and and Simone, obviously looking at the clinical staging arm, uh, relying on um, imaging, and and of course, obviously in in prospective studies, uh, be it surgical, non-surgical, there's always the this question of well, did you have central pathology review? Did you have central imaging review? So relying so importantly in this study about imaging, obviously, um, one question, and I, I think I may know the answer, but one question is you had no central imaging review. Uh, could you explain to our audience why that was the case? Yes, it is um, optimally, of course, for a randomized trial, we had a central imaging review or central pathologic review. We know that. There was a practical reason, and um, the study was funded by the German Cancer Association. And um, after calculation of the cool study, we decided to exclude a central pathology and central uh, radiology um, um, imaging review uh, because of the cost, uh, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, looking at the APRIN study from the United States, we know that the sensitivity and the accuracy of the uh, radiologic um, imaging, either with uh, CT or MRI, is very limited in the lymph node staging of cervical cancer patients. So um, we added the CT, the abdominal CT, to the um, clinical arm of the study, but there was no central imaging review. It's, uh, of course, a weakness of the, of the trial. Yeah. So now turning over to uh, Christar. Um, 
what what was the primary endpoint of the study? And I know that uh, certainly there 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 are many who will um, question also that you perform an ad hoc analysis or a post study analysis. Um, tell us about uh, those two elements of the of the study. Um, with, with pleasure, Peter. Uh, this, our primary endpoint was disease-free survival. This was a long discussion with the statistician at the beginning when we designed the, the, the study. And uh, so the, uh, we thought at the beginning that the and, uh, very one of the important outcome oncologic outcome uh, points would be uh, disease-free survival, but uh, uh, and then we, we have chosen uh, overall survival as a secondary endpoint, which was also negative uh, in this trial. But uh, uh, having seen the data uh, in, in the analysis, we had to recognize that uh, really some patients died for totally other reasons, like uh, suicide or definitely other malignancies and uh, uh, liver cirrhosis due to uh, alcoholic abusers. And this is definitely not related to the cancer. So uh, as PIs, we brought both PIs of the trial, so we had to recognize that these uh, uh, deaths of some, these women are totally different from uh, the uh, cancer origin. And that's, this was the reason, and we discussed it in the safety board, that we should add a um, uh, cancer-specific survival analysis, despite it was not written in the protocol. Again, this is all the weakness of the, the protocol, and uh, it was a failure of, of of our team at the, uh, the trial design because we should have at this uh, at least a secondary endpoint, but we didn't do this. Yeah. So again, uh, some uh -huh. of the cancers were totally unrelated. Uh, uh, some of the deaths were totally unrelated to the cancer, and that's why we performed uh, these uh, analyses as a postdoc analysis in order to have a real information about the cancer-specific survival, because I think this is, the most, this is very important for the society. Yeah. And, and Chris, getting back to it, I think that Simone uh, alluded to this, obviously, when we were talking about the imaging, but I think that this, has, this question has been posed to you before when uh, there were some presentations of, um, of the preliminary results. Um, in, in terms of, you know, obviously, now standard practice for many centers, uh, the imaging studies uh, is a PET CT, and and many would say, well, why didn't they use you uh, you know the PET CT in uterus eleven? Um, your thoughts on that? Uh, it, it, it's uh, this, this question is uh, simple to answer, Pedro. We have designed this trial in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, mm -hmm. and at this time uh, we we. we uh, uh, at the capacity because in all participating centers it was not reimbursed uh, and this was a simple reason we could not get the money uh, in the grant for uh, the uh, additional capacity. Furthermore, the more difficult problem was that it was not recommended in the national guidelines. So this was again the reason for no reimbursement and that's why we couldn't add it. I, of course, we totally both agree 
that today it would be a precondition to include a patentee in the new study design, no doubt. Yeah. And, and Chris, are getting on to, uh, obviously, you're a, a surgeon in uh, the surgical approach. Uh, there are those who have proposed that the extra peritoneal approach for the evaluation of the periodic lymph nodes is uh, safer and, and prone to lower complications, uh, you know, certainly particularly in, when implementing postoperative radiation compared to the transperitoneal approach. Um, in your study, the overwhelming majority, I think it was 96%, had a transperitoneal approach. Could you speak as to why was that the case? And uh, certainly, do you think that this might have impacted the results in any way? Yeah, with great pleasure, Peter. Uh, when you introduced Simone uh, and asked her about the why did we uh, did, uh, design this trial, uh, one precondition for this trial was that we really felt Uh, fit enough after having done more than two, one in 1,500 laparoscopic lymph node dissections to perform the surgery without uh, any major complication. I mean, this is a precondition in order to start very soon with the chemoradiation. And as soon or as uh, when we felt fit enough for um, um, performing this um, laparoscopic um, staging procedure without any delay, we could offer, offer it to our radio-oncologist, especially to Simone, to say, okay, we can do it with probably in the most majority of cases without any severe complication, and we don't have a delay in the chemoradiation. This was a precondition. I agree with you. Uh, there are some proponents who um, feel better with the extrapersonal approach. In my opinion, today it's not proven that this is a, this approach is associated definitely with lower uh, complication rate during chemoradiation. Uh, and we are we found that we have a better opportunity to also have a good overview of the anti-abdominal cavity to exclude, especially in higher stages, an interpersonal spread, which is difficult by an extrapersonal approach. And uh, we never had any major problems to reach uh, the even the highest level of the parotid region. So again, the combination of having an abdominal view take washing, take biopsies, uh, especially in the pelvis, also remove bulky pelvic lymph nodes if they um, occur, and uh, and having the opportunity to do the parotic were our um, preconditions to say, let's do it better by transpersonal approach and not by uh, uh, extrapersonal approach. By the way, you know, extrapersonal approach is often in a Um, um, certain percent um, percentage associated with the development of lymph cysts, which might be difficult for the chemoradiation later on. Yeah, that's a very good point. And now before leaving the methodology part, uh, uh, one question back to Simone. Um, can you tell us information about the radiation doses and the fields of radiation used uh, with regards to anatomical landmarks when patients had positive uh, pelvic lymph nodes as opposed to positive periodic nodes. And also, I was wondering if you can comment as to whether 
uh, intensity modulated radiation therapy or IMRT was allowed in this study? Yes, with pleasure, Pietro. Um, we are quite proud on this part of the study because we had a strict protocol um, uh, concerning the radiation volume, the target volume definition, and the definition of the biologically effective dose. Um, we um, had the recommendation, the protocol to combine external beam radiotherapy and uh, intracervical brachytherapy um, and uh, concomitant chemotherapy with the platinum mono weekly 40 milligram per square meter to the patient. Um, and we, the recommendation was to reach more than 80 gray as a biologically effective dose to the cervix region in order to have the highest chance for eradication of the tumor. This is an international recommendation mm -hmm. coming from the Jack Astro group, and we um, had the recommendation also in our study protocol. Mm -hmm. uh, concerning the modern or sophisticated radiation techniques, more than 67% um, of patients were treated with IMRT or other modern techniques like VMAT, um, or uh, morphine techniques, um, only 30% coming from our colleagues from Brazil. Um, they are not in every case um, allowed to have an IMRT or in VIMA technique, but two-thirds of the patient were treated with modern techniques and with a sufficient biological um, dose to the cervix. Yeah. So now getting on to the results, obviously, the uterus 11, what does it show? Christopher, how many patients ultimately participated in this study? Um, what were the main findings of the study as it pertains to the primary objective? And uh, certainly we can speak about the ad hoc analysis as well. Okay, thank you so much, Pedro. Uh, we were happy to, to randomize uh, within the sense of uh, finally 255 patients. Uh, there were uh, 121 in the surgical arm, followed by primary chemoradiation. Uh, the rate, the number of non-eligible were nine, and in the clinical arm, without surgery, uh, only treated by primary chemoradiation, uh, were um, 119 patients, and the um, number of patients that were not eligible uh, is six. Uh, all patients in the uh, surgical arm uh, underwent uh, an uh, laparoscopic staging uh, besides one, and there, were, and there was one conversion to laparotomy. All the others uh, uh, could be finished by a laparoscopic or a minimal invasive approach. I think this is a very good rate, and uh, so the study is not only a surgical, it's rather a laparoscopic staging versus a uh, clinical staging. And uh, the uh, results are uh, with the primary end, uh, uh, designed for a primary endpoint, disease for free survival. For this endpoint, the study is negative with a hazard ratio of. Uh, 0.71 and the p-value of 0.084. But in a, a substrata analysis, which was designed in the protocol according to the FIGO stage and according to the centers, we could show that for patients with a stage 
to be cancer, there isn't significant benefit in terms of surgical staging with a hazard ratio of 0.51 and a p-value of 0.01. And um, probably in, in, in the next fashion, you can will discuss why it is better for stage 2B and not for the entire cohort. This might be speculative. Uh, there could be some reasons, and we will discuss it in, in the, in the, um, in the late, later in the talk. The, the secondary endpoint was overall survival for the trial, and this was also negative with a hazard ratio of 0.699 and a p-value of 0.071. Mm -hmm. But having a look at the uh, curve, there is a uh, trend for in both curves for the surgical arm, again, Significant is only for stage 2B. Yes. And, um, and you know, Chris, so one of the questions that um, often comes up, obviously, is, well, uh, w what percentage of patients would I be upstaging if I did surgery? In other words, I feel that, well, the imaging is good enough and I'm not really going to be upstaging that many patients. In the uterus 11, what was the rate of upstaging in patients that had surgery? Yeah, this is a very good question, Pedro. Uh, we were really surprised. Our assumption uh, for the design of the trial was the analysis by Gold, published in Cancer 2008, where uh, this group uh, had analyzed the patients from the three GOG trials. And within these uh, large trials, um, uh, introducing the chemo radiation, there were uh, patients who underwent clinical staging and in, uh, in a, a couple of them underwent all the surgical staging. And in this cohort, there was a difference in, in the survival rate of 14%, and this was our assumption for, for the trial. And so we were surprised that uh, we could show in the surgical arm, either uh, due to the um, proven parotic lymph node positivity, or to the direct spread to the neighbor organs, an upstaging rate of 33% mm. compared to 8%. The 8% upstaging rate in the clinical arm is caused by the fact that due to ethical reasons, we had to incorporate a CT-guided function in these patients where the uh, imaging showed in uh, really enlarged lymph node in the parotic region, and then we had to perform a parotic uh, puncture of this node. If this was positive, these patients also were upstaged at the stage uh, 4B because in the old PICO staging system, this was in uh, parotic lymph node metastasis were counted as the distant metastasis has now changed a little bit, but again, it is important for the treatment of this patient. Yeah. And, and, um, the next question I wanted to ask actually is to Simone, because one of the things that we have always heard on, you know, often from the radiation oncologist is, well, don't do surgical staging because, you know, the complication rate is going to be higher. And also, 
you know, you're just going to delay the radiation treatment that is what the patient actually needs. So therefore, bypass the surgical approach. And of course, obviously, having the evidence of the uterus 11 now with no difference, then that, that certainly may, may not be a, a point to consider. But just from your perspective, uh, what were the rates of complications between the two groups and, and uh, the median time to initiation of chemo radiation after surgery? Thank you, Pedro, for the important question. This has been a paradigm, especially in the uh, radiation oncology society, uh, saying that uh, the uh, surgical staging uh, led to um, a higher complication rate after chemo radiation. Looking at the results of the study from LAI, which was uh, prematurely closed because of the complication rates and the um, inferior results um, in terms of uh, surgical uh, staging. Um, the whole society um, was alarmed and said, oh no, let's increase um, the surgical staging because of the higher complication rate. But when you go into the deta details of the live study, you see that there was a higher complication rate, but not related to the uh, staging, to the surgical staging, but to the very old uh, radiation techniques. They used a PPA techniques to bring in high dose to the bowel and to the rectum. And this was related to a higher complication rate after surgical staging, but it was a radiation related to toxicity. Mm. Going back to our study, we could show, fortunately, that there was no statistically significant difference in terms of complications between the surgical and the clinical arm. We had only a delay of more than five days for the beginning of the chemo radiation in two patients, and there was no intraoperative complication, there was no mortality, there was a blood loss more than a half a liter of only one or two patients, um, there was a low um, um, rate of um, open surgery, of um, switching to open surgery, as we heard from Christat. So there was is no evidence of uh, a higher um, complication rate from the cool treatment after laparoscopic staging um, co compared to no laparoscopic staging before a primary chemo radiation. And then the, the, the delays or any uh, a time to starting chemo radiation in the surgical patients? In, in two patients, uh, a delay of more than five days. So okay. this is nothing, I think. Okay. So you need from the planning CT to the uh, initiation of the, to, from the planning CT to the first treatment, you need five working days uh, for, for QA and for an appropriate radiation planning. So this is nothing. Yes. So there was no uh, evidence of a severe delay for, for those patients. Yeah. And uh, Simone, another question for you, uh, and, and Christa um, alluded to this earlier, uh, with regards to the results of the uterus 11, disease-free survival was higher in patients with stage 2B compared to those with 3B when undergoing surgery. Why do you think yes. this was the case? Yeah, that means um, 2B patients benefited more from surgical staging in this context than 3B patients. Mm -hmm. And we discussed, of course, the findings um, because 
when we had a trial uh, with only 2B patients, it uh, would be a better result. At the end, now we had a mixture of 2B and 3B patients and 4A patients, so uh, patients on a higher FICO stage benefited less from the surgical staging. What is the reason for that? To my opinion, it is the higher rate of uh, distant metastasis in those patients that they uh, are on higher risk of developing organ metastasis and uh, had no benefit at the end of their life from laparoscopic staging. In contrast to patients with 2B with uh, less um, with, with inferior rates of distant metastasis and they benefited more. And that means that we have for the next study generation, we have to do more for our patient to avoid uh, distant metastasis. That means an intensification of the systemic treatment. Uh, maybe in the light of the uh, immunotherapy, there are some interesting opportunities and interesting studies in the future, and this should be the direction. Yeah. It's a moment, uh, another question regarding radiation, um, and this often comes up, it, it, you know, is there any benefit to extended field radiation? Did you have a chance in this study or did you have enough numbers uh, for looking at whether there was a difference in survival uh, for those patients that underwent extended field versus those that did not? Not in that study because the uh, number of patients with 4B or spirotic disease was not high enough, but we published in retrospective data on our um, patients showing um, only patients under, after under uh, after uh, surgical staging with the confirmed parotic disease is the long-term survival 50% after laparoscopic staging and extended field radiation therapy. Mm -hmm. And there, in some radiation oncology societies, there's the idea that because it was um, def uh, defined as a metastasis, as um, distant metastasis in the old FIGO classification, that it might be a palliative um, a treatment for patients with extended with extended field radiation and with parotic disease, mm -hmm. and we could show on this retrospective data. No, it is a curative intent, and it makes sense to have a laparoscopic staging to remove the lymph nodes from the parotic region, and then to have an extended field radio chemotherapy, and then you can cure half of those patients. Mm -hmm. The other half of the patient they died from distant metastasis. But we had um, we could show an excellent local regional control, um, especially in the parotid field. Yeah, and then uh, Christer, one one uh, additional question, and then you know some who have already had a chance to uh, read the the manuscript in its final form have said, well, um, you know, do you think that there's a difference uh, whether you did uh, dissection only to the inferior mesenteric artery? versus a dissection to the renal vessels in terms of nodal positivity, in terms of potential complications, in terms of really guiding the, the radiation field. I um, was wondering if you could address the, those, uh, those comments. Uh, uh, this, is very, this is a very nice question. And again, I, 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 probably as you, uh, it's the same to you, uh, we often get this question. Uh, I think this is, uh, uh, a little bit related to the um, technical question sometimes to reach the, the higher level 
and uh, therefore the question is there in metastasis uh, or skip metastasis or uh, can we miss some metastasis in the higher priority region? Uh, I think uh, there is, within the trial there are two aspects to this uh, uh, question. I will try to answer this accordingly. The one is, uh, Simone, one of our um, very early common uh, manuscripts were to to see where is the location of the aortic bifurcation in correlation to the vertebral to the vertebra, and there is such a huge difference. You can uh, have the uh, aortic bifurcation very deep close to the promontory. You can have it. Near, nearly 8 to 10 centimeters higher in some patients if you look at the um, preoperative or to the pre-planning uh, CT scan. And the same is to the um, um, inferior mesenteric artery. The inferior mesenteric artery can be very low. It can be very high in patients. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the artery is a very unstable landmark in order to, to say, okay, we can uh, uh, tailor the radiation field to, the, to this uh, Artery. I wouldn't uh, love to do it because it can, the, the viability is very high. And the second, this was um, that we haven't addressed so much in the um, uh, telephone call now, that we also wanted to remove um, potentially two more involved lymph nodes. And the two more involved lymph nodes, you cannot, in, in, uh, if the two more lymph node size is small, you cannot imagine where the, where it ends up and where the last uh, lymph node that might be involved, especially if you also consider to the removal of uh, small volume metastasis or even micrometastasis, again, to, in order to reduce a little bit the tumor burden. And if you stop to the internal mesenteric artery, you, you might miss uh, smaller lymph nodes. Uh, mass uh, that are located above the um, uh, mesenteric inferior artery. That's why we have decided within the trial to do to extend the lymph node section to the renal vessels. Again, it's under the, it's under debate, and I'm I know the papers from 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 uh, other European groups, but uh, again, uh, uh, there's for me such a uh, huge viability in the run of the artery. I cannot 100% agree with the statement. Yeah. So now I want to get on to a few questions regarding what do we do from here on forward. And I'll start with uh, Simone. Um, you know, th there are those who argue and say, well, CT scan is no longer standard. MRI is no longer standard in most centers. We use PET-CT. And, uh, you know, we feel comfortable and we obtain sufficient and adequate information to render uh, a recommendation for surgical staging. Um, what would you propose uh, to that thought? And what, what would you comment to those who say, I don't need to do surgical staging, uterus 11 shows there's no difference, and I use a PET scan, so we're good to go? Um, I've taken the liberty to, to answer you, Pedro, instead of more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, but again, you can feel free to ask her too. Um, the, I mean, the, there is a couple of aspects. The first one is, um, PET-CT is, in our opinion, still not uh, accurate enough. We do have a missing uh, positivity of lymph nodes described in the literature between 
8 to 20 percent. And for a patient, this is potentially life threatening if you miss a portic lymph node. And we did see a, a couple of patients who had only an imaging and later on developed and uh, had a locally controlled um, a disease, but developed paroptic metastasis and further on distant metastasis and, and, and died of the disease. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, very difficult for this patient. The question, of course, that you address is, in our opinion, patity is not accurate in now at the moment. I think there is a development of um, new um, um, CT scans like the FAPI um, uh, CT scan, which uh, um, um, where the tracer is the fibroblastic activation protein inhibitor, and this is overexpressed in some uh, tumor cancers, for example, head and neck cancer. Maybe in the future, these kind of CT scans are more accurate as uh, compared to the glucose-based uh, PET-CT, and we will uh, um, focus on this. Probably we will uh, um, um, send you a manuscript of our first experience on, on this PET, uh, kind of pet uh, But again, it's too early, and we would not substitute it because the gold standard is the histology at the moment. Mm -hmm. So then now, then the next question, I guess also for you, Christar, is what will be, or is there a need for another prospective randomized trial evaluating uh, this question, perhaps with a different design? Um, in our opinion, when both with Simone all agree, uh, I think uh, the, the, we could, we, we had a statistical problem with, uh, with our trial more than a clinical because um, I think the, the trend in both survival curves is visible and for if you, if we had excluded the unfortunately post hoc analysis, we could show that there is a statistical benefit, but again, it was not the primary endpoint, no doubt. And, but for FIGO stage to be we could demonstrate this, and this would be, for, in our opinion, an argument to design a new trial, of course, including the capacity, and then we have also discussed the question, um, should we uh, remove bulky nodes, which was in part of, of our assumption in, in, in the uterus 11 trial, or can we restrict it and focus only to the parotid region, to say we only take the uh, uh, CT, any kind of CT, uh, um, uh, PET uh, scan, in comparison to the histologic gold standard. I think this would be very important, very interesting, uh, uh, because if you, um, there was just in Spanish um, uh, multi-standard trial, again a retrospective one, where they summarized the results of a couple of centers uh, in these centers performed uh, compared their data of capacity based parotid radiation and uh, histologic based after surgical staging. Um, this was uh, just published in the Annal Annals of Search on Call uh, by Diaz Feiju. And what was the result? The survival rates were very similar, but the price of this was that in the PET-CD based, based on there were 40 
40% more priority gradation than in the surgical arm, 40%. So now, last question to you, Krista. This would be an argument, sorry, um, Peter, this uh -huh. would be an argument to continue with the surgical staging and to design a better and newer trial. So then now, actually, that, that, I guess I'll know the, the, the answer to the next question based on what you just said. But um, this is a question that many, when they said, you know, you're going to be interviewing Christopher Kohler, you have to ask him this question. Uterus 11, the only prospective randomized trial comparing clinical versus surgical staging in locally advanced cervical cancer. It showed that surgery is no better than clinical staging in patients uh, with locally advanced cancer in terms of disease-free survival being that the primary endpoints. So the, the, the request was actually that this should be a yes or no answer. And they said, should this surgery not be performed given that there is no difference in survival? I think, uh, sorry, I've taken the liberty to answer a little bit in the previous, in your previous <laughs> uh, of in, uh, Indeed, uh, the precondition, I think, is if you have a team and a, 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 a surgical team that is able to perform the surgery without any, without major complication. This is the first precondition. Because this does not delay the chemoradiation, and if you don't delay the chemoradiation, the patient has this excellent benefit because she will be only radiated in the case of proven parotic metastasis. If you don't have this, the opacity is the, the best alternative, knowing that there is a missing positive rate in the parotic region. And if you can offer this to the patient, our opinion, we would rather advocate because we see a benefit, especially in the patients with a 2B, 2B maybe also in the 1B2, but we could not include this patient. But again, we, we will continue doing this, and um, hopefully we can together, maybe together, design a new trial where we can answer this question with a better statistic approach. <laughs> okay. So then now, last question to... Uh-huh. What's... One comment to this? Yes. So maybe I can add uh, some, some ideas. I would say that the further direction... We have a problem. Our problem is that in our countries with the resources to run a randomized trial, we have... Uh, a decreasing um, incidence of cervical cancer because of the vaccination. So this mm. is our problem we are seeing um, now. So we have um, not really enough um, patients and it was a real um, a great effort to, um, to finalize this randomized trial in Germany. So this is a big problem for the future. Mm. On the other hand, we have um, an increasing incidence in other HPV related diseases, for instance, viral cancer. Maybe this is an interesting topic for, for have a future uh, randomized trials. And back to the cervical cancer, I think the um, key issue is the improvement in imaging. Maybe in the future, if we have a good FAPI PET um, scan, we can 
um, uh, offer the patient at first a FAPI PET or a PET scan. Mm -hmm. And for those patients who are negative on, on the PET scan, and you know the data from Pumovit showing a false negative rate, after PET scan of about 20%. For those 20% of the patients, we have to do to confirm or to exclude uh, parotid disease and surgical staging, and not to the other 80% with positive PET scan. Mm -hmm. So those patients with positive PET scan, we know the radiation field. We can we have a target volume definition for, for chemo radiation. Everything is fine. Mm -hmm. But our problem are the PET negative patients. And maybe this is the direction for the future, yeah. to my opinion. Well, thank you so much to both of you. I, I uh, and you know certainly either one. Any closing uh, remarks or closing statements for our audience? We certainly have had a, a a great opportunity to ask so many questions, and I really enjoyed speaking with you. I always learned a tremendous amount from both of you. Um, any uh, closing remarks? Peter, um, this is a great. At first, it's a great pleasure uh, to give us the opportunity to present our the data of our trial in in, in such a perfect manner and spread it a little bit more uh, out among our society. The second one, and this is an independent from from the result of the, of the trial. This trial um, um, ha, um, has. Um, given us the opportunity to cooperate with uh, other centers that we never had on, on the screen before, especially in South America. And we got a lot of one in touch with wonderful colleagues, and now they are very good friends. And this was an, the best side effect of this trial outside the, the, the clinical relevance of this trial, and we, that's why we would never miss to have having performed the study. And again, this is not in scientific value, but it's an unbelievable new experience for us. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you both so, so much. And uh, I want to thank also our um, audience for uh, listening into the podcast and invite everyone to uh, join in for the uh, Journal Club, uh, also addressing this lead article later this month. Thank you.